Hey, Bob. How's it going? Devin, good to see you again. It's good to see Long you too. Time. It's good to see you on the crown. <laughs> so, so for everyone that doesn't know, uh, Bob was one of my students. Uh, I'm a helicopter flight instructor, and Bob came to me as a student. So Bob got his private pilot's license, and I know you don't like talking about it, but how old are you? I'm 69. 69. I'm pretty close, closer to 70. Than When's your birthday? April 4th. April 4th. Okay. Uh, so he's 69, about to be 70. And when I was working with Bob, I was 20. So I would have these conversations with my mom and I was like, mom, I'm 20 teaching Bob, who's got how many more years on me, so much more experience and I'm teaching him how to fly helicopters. So it was always super weird, uh, that transition. But tell me about yourself. I want to hear your childhood growing up. I know your service in the military and then how you got to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. So, so I was born in 1952, you know, only uh, seven years after the end of world war two Korean war was still kind of going on. I think that ended. So, so growing up uh, every kid's father uh, and uncle, you know, had either served in World War II or Korea. So it was very, very, you know, there, there was a lot of military veterans around and that was the same in my childhood. So that was kind of, you know, some different, different branches of the service and everything. So uh, when I was in, I think first grade is when the Soviets launched Sputnik. And, and of course, in the 50s, I was just a little kid, but there were always a lot of jet planes flying around and everything. So that's what I remember a lot of. There was, a, you know, the Air Force was a lot bigger and the Armed Forces was a lot bigger back then. So there were a lot of like transport planes and there were Air Force bases near almost every city, a heck of a lot more of them than there are now. So that was a big deal of it. Um, so I kind of grew up during the Cold War with Russian bombers and our bombers and then, you know, Sputnik and then Yuri Gagarin was a year later, the first human in orbit. I was, you know, like in third grade then. So it was, uh, it was pretty neat. So the space race was on, the Cold War was on. So it was pretty, pretty big. So aviation and rockets and jets were, were kind of always there. Um, so growing up, you know, I just normal stuff. I, I grew up outside of Boston, small town in Middlesex County, Stoneham. Um, I don't think anybody famous is from there, except Nancy Kerrigan, figure, figure skater from the like 80s or something was from there, but long before you were born, Devin. Um, so, and I, you know, played sports. I was pretty good at running and hockey and did all that. So um, after high school, I went to the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, primarily because, you know, I was okay as a student, but played hockey. What was the process of getting into West Point? What, what's that like? Yeah, so what you have to do is you have to be nominated by uh, a congressman, uh, you know, or a senator or a vice president or something like that. You got to have a, a a connection and they only get one per year uh they get they have i think two primaries and a number of alternates okay okay so and then um once you have your nomination then you have to go and get a bunch of letters of um endorsement i guess or letters of recommendations from coaches high school you know teachers and things like that um and then you, know, you have to pass a physical and a screening. So you get a physical and a physical aptitude test to have you do a bunch of strange things that you never did before. Like there's the one of them is the kneeling basketball throw. So you're on your knees and you 
throw a basketball as far as you can. So it's stuff and, that you're not used to doing. And that's how they judge if you're like. So they have their own reasons. Okay. You know, you know? Yeah. so. Um, and I think you would fail if you refuse to do it. You know, I said, okay. this is stupid. I'm not going and this person's not suitable. Maybe that's the point of the test. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of strange stuff can we have these people do that they'll still do without complaining? Yeah. Um, and then, then you go into the admissions process and they determine who gets in. And, and it's, um, it, it's interesting because it's not just academics. There's, there's three things. There's academic aptitude. So you got to have fairly good grades and mm -hmm. SAT scores. You got to have some physical aptitude and then what they call community service or aptitude for the service, you know, helping others and getting involved in leadership potential. So it's a kind of a, they have a formula that's secret, but it's a combination of all of those three. And that's how you get in. So if you're just a good student and not good at anything else, you, you they want well-rounded individuals. Yeah, yes, that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, because they're developing leaders for the future, you know, and that's how it was. So I went into West Point, uh, played on the hockey team, and um, met a lot of good folks, graduated from there. And uh, it was there that I kind of wanted to, um, I, mean, I did want to be a helicopter pilot, but I didn't pass the, the vision screening. I was colorblind. At that time, Vietnam was winding down. So it was bad timing. You know, if they need a lot of pilots, they, they wave the vision, yeah. the color vision. Anyway. Yeah, right. And, uh, and that they were winding down, so they were really tightening down. So I, the next best uh, option for me was uh, I went to armor. My branch was armor, so I was a tanker. And uh, always liked the idea of flying. And eventually one day I said, oh, I'll get my private pilot's license. Wait, so I want to hear more about this tanker. Yeah. Sure. What kind of tank? So I started out, uh, so I got, I graduated in 1974, you know, okay. so I graduated from high school, 70, 74, graduated from West Point. I had already gone through um, airborne school, parachuting uh, my junior year. And then uh, right after graduation, so I was commissioned in the branch of armor. And that's, that's what tanks are. Armor and cavalry is, is in that branch. So um I went to ranger school right after graduation. Then I went to the armor officer basic course. So ranger school is kind of like commando and survival. And yeah. What was that like? like. Uh, it was nine weeks long. It was intense and uh, it was a challenge. You know, it was one of those things I, I wasn't looking forward to going. Like army ranger school? Yeah. Isn't this like one of the most like intense parts of the military? Yeah, it is. It, it's so the Rangers are, are elite. They're an infantry yeah. unit, you know, don't, and, and it's hard to a lot of folks will confuse them with like special forces, the Green Berets are they or, not? or the SEALs. Now they're, they're different. The Rangers are specialized infantry. So they're organized in battalions and squads and things like that. So for very specialized infantry missions, they'll use the Rangers. They're they're Special forces are a different group. They tend to work more for the State Department and work for the host country. So most right. of their stuff is uh, winning the hearts and minds of the locals, helping build up um, local um, uh, military and skills, and they provide advisors. They do combat operations, but that's kind of like the second or third mission. It's mostly team building and with the, with the country team. And what do Rangers typically do so, well rangers are all combat 
Okay. You know, they're they're but they're usually they're they're very specialized combat missions that you need uh, that are you know more difficult and you need more skilled and so they're they're an elite organization. Um, so uh, and then you've got the uh, the Delta Force, which is kind of the army's equivalent, like SEAL Team Six, you know, and then you have the SEALs, which is a very intense and highly highly trained group and highly motivated. You get the the Delta Force, which is part of the special operations, and they do these, you know, rescue ops and things like that. Very, very, you know, surgical strikes and going in and tough, tough stuff. So Ranger School was more getting the skills and seeing if you can survive it, you know. So they, they do everything, land navigation at night, you know, most of the training is at night. So it's small unit leadership tactics. Um, yeah, so hand-to-hand -hand combat, mountaineering skills, uh, riverine and swamp operations, um, airborne air assault, you know, helicopter assault, a lot of light land navigation and physically demanding things to be able to get from your start point to a rally point, conduct either a raid or a reconnaissance, and then get back in time and don't lose anybody, don't get lost and don't break a leg and stuff like that. And it's a series of these things over and over again. And you're evaluated at based on your leadership. So you'll be going along and you're in a patrol and all of a sudden they'll stop. Okay, Ranger Dillon, you're the no patrol leader. The patrol leader's just killed and you got to know where you are and step in and go on like nice. that. Yeah, so it's... Uh, it's like nine weeks of your uh, FAA check ride. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. You know, only people have guns. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> They're pushing but, but, you to your limits. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. And, and so you're, um, by the end of nine weeks, you're, you're, you're everybody sheds weight, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you'll go out on a seven day patrol and you'll have, they don't have them anymore. They have MREs now, but we had C rations and then a C ration meal is 1400 calories. Oh Jesus. Yeah. One, one a day. And and if you're late or something, you don't get any sleep that night. So you're, you're pretty much starving, you're dehydrated, you're exhausted, you're sleep deprived. And that's, that's what they want you to do is that's for function weeks. under stress. It, it, it's not the full, full nine weeks, you right. know, at first they start out kind of gradually and stuff like that obstacle courses, PT stuff. Uh, but the last phase for me, it was at, um, in the, the, the swamp phase in Eglin Air Force Base. And so th those last three weeks were, were the toughest because by that time you're pretty, pretty fat. Yeah, yeah, they killed you. So yeah. after after Ranger School, what'd you do? So after Ranger School, I went to the Armour Officer Basic Course. And so that's where new lieutenants go to learn all the basics of the tanks that we're gonna do. So to answer your question uh, about what tanks, uh, at that time, the, the main battle tank of our forces was the M60 had a 105 millimeter high velocity gun on it, weighed about 50 tons. And the cavalry had, and cavalry is a reconnaissance arm where the armor is, a, is a, would actually engage in combat. Cavalry does reconnaissance and surveillance and counter reconnaissance, you know, finding out where the enemy is and keeping an eye on them, but don't, don't get decisively engaged. Um, they had um, Sheridans. It's a it's a light armored reconnaissance vehicle and uh, light tracked vehicles, one one threes. So you learn all the maintenance about that. You learn about all the systems, tank gunnery and armor organizations and tactics and all of that stuff. And then then I went to my first unit, which was in Germany. I was with uh, a tank battalion in Mannheim, Germany. 
and spent four years there. My first assignment, I was a platoon leader. So it was me and I had five tanks and 19 other guys, 20 total, and they were part of a tank company. And um, did that for about a year. Then I made first lieutenant and I became the company executive officer, which is the second in command of the company. Uh, then I was a battalion staff officer a while, and then I was a company commander, commanded a tank company of three platoons, and, uh, and then came back to the States and went to the infantry so school. What, yeah. what, was it, what was your original reason for being in Germany? Why did they have you stationed there? Was it, is it, was it just common? That they... uh, so, no, I, I, kind of, I wanted to go there. I, you had a choice of a number of places, but if you're an armor officer, you're, you're not going to go someplace that doesn't have tanks, yeah. you know? So, um, like if I was a finance officer, I probably could have gone anywhere. Right. I, I didn't want to go in the army to be a finance officer, right. you know? Um, I think the pay would be a lot better if I was a finance officer in a bank. Yeah, but and, you were having a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so the armor at that time, there's armor out at Fort Lewis, Washington, in Tacoma, there's Fort Carson, Colorado, mm -hmm. it still is, for Texas, Kentucky, um, but uh, I wanted to go to Germany, and so that's, I went there, so I was with the 8th Infantry Division at the time, you know, and that was part of our NATO commitment, so uh, after World War II ended, you know, they, when, when the, the, without getting into the, the history of World War II at all or anything, but when, when it ended, the Allies were supposed to all go away, rebuild Germany and go away. Well, the Western powers were ready to go away, but the Russian state, yeah. right? they, they kept East Germany under their thumb. And mm -hmm. so the Western European nations were a little concerned about that. So then NATO was formed. And so then we've had a continual presence ever since as part of our commitment to NATO. So that's what my so, division uh, did. And then you came back to the States. Um, I want to hear about your time outside. Of the, so how many years did you spend in the military? Uh, 21, a little over 21. Okay. So how old were you when you retired? 42. Okay. So what did you do after 42 till now? Okay. So um, I was, uh, so I was teaching at West Point. I was, okay. uh, I was uh, yeah. the, um, uh, I was one on the faculty of the mechanical engineering, mechanical and civil engineering department. So I had the uh, mechanical design curriculum. So it was mechanical and a lot of automotive stuff like that. So, you know, engines, powertrains and design, design methodologies. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was a Lieutenant Colonel and I was uh, coming up and to be, um, uh, I was being considered for full bird Colonel and uh is it what it's actually called uh colonel it, it, it's full bird colonel yeah, well, yeah, well because the insignia is, is an eagle okay so they call it a bird colonel gotcha yeah and a lieutenant colonel we call them half colonels what is it like half of well, an eagle yeah no, it's a it's a silver oak leaf but it's a okay. lieutenant colonel light colonel okay or a half colonel or some of us call them telephone colonels yeah so like when you're, you're calling somebody on the phone and this is colonel dolan you're supposed to say Lieutenant Colonel Dillon. Yes. You know, and so okay. you call some of these guys and those as a Colonel Smith. I said, are you a colonel? Are you a real colonel or are you a lieutenant? Well, I'm a lieutenant colonel. Okay. So now I don't have yeah, you know, I see. trying to do it. So, but the point of it is that uh, when I, if I accepted promotion to colonel, I would own three years. 
And so I'm looking and I'm 42 years old. Am I going to stick in till 30? If I stick into 30, I'm 52. Looking at a job after, you know, you get a good retirement, but you can't live on it. Really? And yeah, you can't. And, uh, and um, it's a house payment, basically. Okay. Um, I had two kids looking to go to college. And so I said, so anyway, an opportunity came um, to take a position with a, a college out in Indiana. So I decided, you know, I just made the decision, you know, talked it over with the family, retired, took my retirement, and then went out to Rose Hellman Institute of Technology out in Indiana. It's a, it's a small math, science, and engineering school, a very, very nice, top-notch school, undergraduate. So my my background fit right in and uh, went, went great. And then uh, I was out there for six years. And then I got a call from uh, the director of Benet Laboratories. They're a, a tenant unit at Waterfleet Arsenal. They do all the design and engineering work to support the arsenal for the large caliber cannons. I had had an assignment there. After, after the infantry advanced course, I got my master's and PhD at RPI. And so I, I'm familiar with the area. So they asked me to come by on a sabbatical to help them with a couple of projects and things like that, which I did. And at the end of them, they made me a job offer. So that was about 2001. And then, um, so I got, got hired by them as a civilian, as a, as a department of the army civilian. And so what were you doing there? So I was the head of the uh, research division. Okay. Uh, so the, the laboratory was organized in three divisions. They had a design, they had one for production support. I, I headed up the research group and those were the folks that would do in materials research, um, research on erosive materials, deposition techniques, um, blast mitigation and things like that. So a, a lot of, lot of different, different activities to support you know, large caliber cannons, a lot of metallurgy, a lot of metal processing, things like that. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was great. I stayed here for 20 more years. So, okay. <laughs> so, so you took that job in 2001 and you were there until retirement. Yep. Yeah. That, when did you uh, retire? Uh, a year ago tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, happy anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. 31st of January. I, I did it. So I, I, I was, I was the director of research for a number of years. Then I was the science advisor where there I did a lot of um, working with universities and industry for technology transfer. So universities that would come up with new technologies or something that might be usable, I would look to see if we could transition that into active programs that we had into weapon systems. And the last two years, I was the director of the lab. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, so okay. So. A year ago tomorrow, you retired, and then over a period of some time, you come to the decision you want to fly helicopters. Yeah, well, well, the helicopters were always there. It was always there. Yeah, I, I almost got, I, I almost got my fixed wing uh, license when I was out in Indiana because I was right near an airport. There were a lot of planes. I could buy a Cessna one fifty two for like twelve thousand dollars and. But the problem is, so it comes down to the two big things. And that is the, well, it's one thing in two parts, the resources, the time and the money mm -hmm. there. I had the money and it was affordable. I just didn't have the time, I, you know, teaching at a, at a teaching college. It was like 60 hours a week. It was exhausting because mm -hmm. you're, 
you know, you're on your feet a lot, you're prepping, you're either grading or prepping. And it, it was just pretty intense. It was nice, but so that was undoable. And then while I was at Benet, it was just, you know, tough. It just, I was doing a lot of traveling. And so the time wasn't there. And then, so when I retired, both of them came about and I said, you know what? Now it's time. I'm doing it. So you, uh, you found my company, Independent Helicopters. I did. How'd you, how'd you find it? Uh, I went online and cause I, I, I thought I was probably, I didn't know there were helicopter schools around here. I figured, you know, everything I saw was either in Arizona or Florida or maybe Louisiana or California or something. So I said, I'll probably be there. And I just hit a thing and this independent helicopters popped up and they said, holy money, look at that. They're in Stewart. That's not too far. They go, wait a minute. There's one up in Saratoga. So um, I called. And I, I think I talked to Michaela was in the office mm -hmm. at the time. And she says, yeah, yeah, you talked to Matt Taggart up there. And I drove up and so um, I didn't see Matt right away, but Nick was there mm -hmm. and uh, met Mary and the other folks. And then, so I talked to Nick, Nick, this was like in, um, so in April I went and saw, I said, well, the first thing I'm going to need is a flight physical. So I went and started the process for my flight physical. And then in May, I, um, geez, I think I had my check. I'll have to look at my wallet, my, my iPhone. I think I had an intro flight with Nick in April, okay. like the last week in April. And then you and I started like on the 17th of May, mm -hmm. you know, in earnest. So, so when, uh, when you, when people come into my office and they say like, Hey, I want to learn how to fly helicopters. Like yep. you alluded to, you wanted to get started on the process of your medical. Um, and that's what I recommend to people go yep. get your medical because it may throw up some hurdles. Yeah. Walk me through the process of getting your medical. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I will say this, that you and everybody at independence said, well, before you waste any of your money, make sure you get your medical, you know? And, and I said, eh, you know, time isn't on my side here. And, and even if I can just fly dual, and if I never get my medical, I've at least because one of the things that was, um, you know, kind of a question I had in my mind is a do I have the ability to fly a helicopter? You yeah. know, do I have the aptitude to do this? Can I do that? Yeah, can I do it? You know, because it may be one of those things that my coordination or whatever mm -hmm. is just not gonna fly, right? You know, so I said, Look, I just want to get up on one of these things and do it, then we'll do it. So so concurrently, you know, I went, I got the uh the student thing and uh the Good. The pilot certificate, yeah, the student yeah, pilot certificate. yeah, the student pilot certificate, and you can fly with that while your medical's pending. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and so I had, uh, I had uh, primarily the the thing that held me up in getting the medical was it probably would have been a lot quicker for somebody else, mm -hmm. but I had, uh, I had you know bypass surgery six years ago, so that's a big flag. What kind of bypass surgery? uh coronary bypass surgery. how many yeah, five <laughs> so i had a five vessel bypass and um that's a that's another that's a podcast all in itself but it was a great adventure everything went out great i was you know i was in and out of the hospital in like three days it was amazing how so but i was for, in good shape you know i was doing a lot of cycling and everything right. so. for anyone that's listening uh and you're thinking about going and getting your medical or um you're concerned about your age um, and you've got some health uh, concerns. Yeah. Bob is the living example that you yeah. can have a five-way yeah, bypass. Have a five-way bypass. What, what did they put you through to get that approved? What was it? What was that approval uh, so, process like? So the FAA. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, they're an organization with a lot of forms. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so they said, you know, and of course, you know, for anybody who's watching and listening, um, if you, you know, it, and it's all it's all on the honor thing, you mm-hmm. know, you put on, have you ever had any coronary? Have you been hospitalized? I said, check, yes, what have you done? Yeah, coronary bypass. And uh, yeah, I could have easily checked no. Yeah. But then I got a sign at the bottom that, everything is true and if they find out you pause license is gone and and plus you know being a military academy graduate a retired army officer duty on a country you know my integrity is worth a lot more than than just yeah yeah but for those who you know but it's so you know and they go through that then they say okay uh now here's what we need we need a report from your cardiologist all the all your medical records your surgery the report from the surgeon what was done how it was done what your current health is so there was a number of things i had to take another stress test and all kinds of uh other things and which you know i had done anyway Mm -hmm. but they have a specific faa stress test that you have to take a certain you know, number of things that they need and you send them all the little easy, you know, electrocardiogram tapes and, and everything. So I got all that, sent all that to them. They had questions on it. So I got to my cardiologist, we answered all their questions. So we started that process in April and I got my medical approved in November. So what is it? April, May, June, July, October, November. So it was a six month process. Yeah. about and, And that's what, that's what Nick said it would be six, Nick, the other CFI yeah. and my, um, uh, my medical, uh, my flight surgeon said, it'll, it'll be four to six months. And you know what, if I'm being honest, I feel like that's actually not terrible. It, it was annoying to me while I was doing it because, because right. I sent everything in and you think it's done, but when you look at it and, for, and, and, and then look at it from the FAA's perspective, I don't know how many of these things they get in mm-hmm. and they have to review this. And they're charged with ensuring safety of the airways. Yeah, you know, and 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 safety of the people on the ground. You right. Know? And so, that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty pretty good. I thought. So, what class medical did you get? Three. Okay. Third class. Do you think they would have approved you for a second or a first? I don't know what the requirement. I I I don't see why not, unless color vision may have something to do so, with that. Okay, so you had uh, the heart stuff. Um, were there any restrictions with your color? Yeah. What, so, what was that yeah, like? so, but with the, my color vision is I can only fly in daytime Okay. and I can't, PIC. uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So PIC, I can't fly at night and I can't fly into an airport that's using light guns. Now okay. I can go and, um, if I can find a place and I couldn't, you know, there's a Farnsworth lantern test yeah. that they'll take the vivid red and vivid greens. And I've tried to take them online and boy, they're, I don't know how I do on that. Yeah. Or um, I can get a letter from the, uh, the folks in Oklahoma city, the FAA, you know, give me a letter of authorization to have a tower like Albany tower. They will give me, they'll shine the light guns and I have to identify the colors and then that'll get the color restriction lifted. Interesting. Yeah. So we were able to go through and do all of our nighttime stuff because I was on board. Dual. Yeah. Yeah. So it was dual, but your restriction is just not operating at night solo. That's correct. Which is not 
that's reasonable, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it's very reasonable. I mean, I don't have any plans to fly at night. Yeah. Sometimes you have to, and it's nice flying at night. Mm-hmm. But if I do have to fly at night, you'll have to come with me. You know, if uh, I think I have flown at night solo a couple times. It's not great. It's it, really unnerving. Uh, you know, not having done it, but flown, you know, daytime solo, mm-hmm. you know, I think I would. I would like another pair of, uh, even if I didn't have the color restriction. Yeah. I think another, per, it's like being the single soldier in a foxhole. Mm. You know, we don't do that. Yeah. Our soldiers, we always put guards and sentries out in pairs mm-hmm. and, uh, and having a, having a second pair of eyes in the cockpit with you at night is a pretty prudent thing, I think. So what, what's one thing that you would tell yourself before going to flight school that you wish you would have known? What was this experience like learning how to fly helicopters that you would have told Bob before he started to fly helicopters? Yeah, boy, that's uh, one thing is number one is it, it's between doing your homework, but I did my homework anyway and study. You were great about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing is take a deep breath and relax. You know, the one thing looking back at all the times that I've had trouble not trouble but challenged or didn't perform the way i would have liked uh wasn't so many times not knowing what was supposed to be done or something like that but just um just relaxing and and not getting tense or uptight about you know so if something if something you know like a hover wasn't quite right just put it behind you and focus on the next thing don't don't mull over in your mind about oh, i could have done this on the hub you know you gotta get to go to the next thing or something like was that. was learning how to fly helicopters harder than you expected yes how yeah it was uh, so having having gone to grad school in aeronautical engineering and, and taken a lot of uh, a lot of my work was primarily uh rotary wing aerodynamics there was some compressible flow and other regular stuff but it was rotary aerodynamics and the army was going to send me out to um edwards air force base to be part of the army flight test facility out there where they're testing new helicopters or new blades and stuff like that and at the last minute uh, i got reassigned to waterville to do muzzle blast research because that was my other area so, you know, I had a pretty good understanding of how the helicopters work and all of that academically in, in, but it's the, um, and, you know, flying a little, um, you know, a, a model, an RC helicopter with all the same controls and everything. But when you're sitting in there and your body is getting the physical response and things like that to, to get the, it, what, what us engineers call is the time constant or the time lag, you know, just the concentration and the coordination that's required is something that can only come from time on the controls. You know, you can think about it and you do that. And so the, the, the amount of concentration required and the amount of coordination, because as you know, and as I learned, uh, you move one control you you got to adjust the other two and yeah. and, and it, it's and then to so to make that more of a reflex than a conscious thought okay i, I lower the collective i gotta step on the right pedal you know I, you gotta just it's just 
hard, you know. And so, but it, it, it's like riding a bike. Eventually it clicks, but I think that's the difference between different pilots. Some people pick it up quick, some people don't. And, uh, but that was, that was much more difficult than I even imagined. So I remember there was a certain maneuver that we did that clicked for you. Do you know how many hours you were at when you felt like you got hovering? Did you ever have a light bulb moment with hovering? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was the, it was the, and I did it the other day when I was out there just to reenact it. Uh, it was the, the 45 degree, you know, angle going, Mm -hmm. you know, so facing down the runway and then going from um, uh, the uh, the runway marker lights, the side marker lights mm-hmm. going, you know, at, at a 45 degree angle stopping and then up to the next one, 45. If, if memory serves, I think that was around 16 or 17 hours, mm-hmm. I think. Before that, it was, it was you know, th- there were times when I would have it for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. I'd be able to hover for like four seconds. Like, oh, this is great. And then, and then the, the oscillations would come in or something like mm-hmm. that. And you'd bring it back and I could hold it for a little bit. So, it, you know, there were these little patches where I could do it, but it, it wasn't consistent. It was after that point that it got consistent. And, you know, I would tell people, I said, well, I was able to hover in an area like the size of a hockey rink. And then I got it to where I could hover into the center ice zone. Uh-huh. And then my goal was to get it to within a face-off circle. And then if I could just hold it over the dot. And I remember you would tell me something. We'd be talking. Say, okay, stop moving. Okay, stop. I want you to hover. Okay, yeah, stop moving. Okay, you're moving forward. Yeah, so. So. Uh, about, it was like, it was a tad under 17 hours. But now I'm interested. I'll have to go check my logbook. When you felt like it clicked, you know, yeah. one of the things as an instructor is I, I remember that moment, too. I remember for all the students I've taught, I remember every single one of them's moment where it clicked. Sure, sure. And for every single person, it's during a different maneuver. Yeah. So for you, it was the 45 degree angle move for certain people. Um, a lot of times it'll be from the pickup. So I'll have them pick it up. And then one time they'll just pick it up and they just won't move. They'll just yeah, keep it still yeah. and they get it there. Yeah. Um, all sorts of different maneuvers I try and everyone seems to get it a little bit differently yeah, and at sure. a little bit of a different time. So as you were going through flight training, were there any times where you wanted to quit? No, no. There were times when I was, I was disgusted with myself, mm. you know, uh, and, and really only once. And that was, um, that was the that horrible flight disconnectedy, you know, with the radio, the, you know, had to stay out of the, the area there, the radio calls and just, it just, you know, and, um, and, I, but I attributed that to me that for some reason, I just, you know, wasn't mentally quick enough that day, you know, but one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And it just, so that day was, uh, there was a lot of soul searching on that one to get back at it. Um, I, I, and, and the only other time I think I was getting a little frustrated was just before my check ride, all of a sudden maneuvers, you know, just two or three times just started to be, uh, rough and not smooth. I'm going, geez, I had these things down. What the hell happened? You know, and then the flight after my check ride, they were okay again, you know? So I, I think the biggest thing is there are, there are days when it's not gonna go mm-hmm. 
and sometimes you don't know what those days are until you get up there. But I, I think those were the only the only times. But other than that, it was just, you know, I, I'd be disappointed that I didn't do better. But I realized this is a hard thing and it's not many people that can do this. And that's the right attitude. So I wanted I want to explain that flight from my perspective and then you can comment or add things on that. So, oh, I don't know, maybe we were like 10 or 15 hours away from your check ride. Um, you think it was more? I think it was more. Okay, maybe it was more. Yeah, I, but but it, it it seemed like there was a lot more flights after, but maybe not. May I? But go ahead. Okay, so it was it was a couple months before your check ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty well experienced at this point. Um, yeah. I thought the flight was something that you could handle, but my goal with that flight was to put the pressure on you. This is a difficult position to be in as an instructor because I told you, okay, go ahead and take off, depart southbound towards Schenectady. And then I think maybe I give you a diversion or something. Yeah. So yeah, we headed yeah, out yeah. west. Yeah. And then that was that was fine. And then you made a mistake or something. And then you were trying to work through on the GPS to figure that out. And then you were trying to program in the right airport. Right. And then you were trying to program in the right frequencies. Yeah. And things were not going well. Yeah. And as you were reaching over to program stuff, your airspeed was dropping Drop and your yeah, altitudes yeah. were changing yeah. and the aircraft was pitching and I was sitting there and I was just watching. It is like a parent watching their kid drown. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's yeah. how it feels. Yeah. And, and it hurts. But with that analogy of a parent watching their kid drown, maybe that kids had lessons and they know they're supposed to flip over and sit on their back and float. Yeah. And I had built this foundation with you where I, you know how to work the GPS, yep. you yep. know where Schenectady is. And I'm, I was trying to build the pressure, but it's hard as an instructor. And no, you built, it was, you, it was getting to you. Well, well, between, between you building the pressure and me adding to it, mm -hmm. mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's one of the yeah, things yeah. I've, well, I, I will say this though, you know, I, I didn't feel as bad afterwards when, cause you were mad afterwards or you acted mad. I was probably, I was probably mad a little bit. Yeah. 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 And, and so, and so that, that goes on to it too, cause you want to, you want to, you know, have your instructor not mad at you, mm -hmm. you know, pleased. Um, and so that, that, that was hard for me. Um, had I known that you were intentionally uh, putting the pressure on me, it wouldn't have been nearly as bad. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I well, just, but then that wouldn't be. The, yeah, yeah. So, so afterwards, when when you told me this days later uh -huh. that, that you did it definitely on it, you know, and I took a couple of days and really went over, you know, and over that thing in my mind and everything. I printed out the book on the GPS so that yep. would never happen again. <laughs> and um, yeah, so but that but. That was a you know a pivotal moment, I think, yeah. in terms of handling things that can happen while you're in the air. Yeah, and actually, some of the like I said, it, it's difficult to do and difficult to watch. Yeah, but yeah, sure. You you overcame it. So walk me through your check ride day, and maybe the the day before your check ride. What were your thoughts? And then I want to talk about your private pilot check ride, and I want you, you to. Tell me what happened. So why don't you start like maybe a day or two before and what were you thinking? How were you preparing? Sure. Um, well, of course, weather was an issue, you know, and we weren't sure and with Heather's schedule. So we, we, we kind of had it for that Tuesday, December 21st. 
um, because we were going to do it the week before. I was going to go down and do the um, do the the um, oral mm-hmm. and the check, you know, the oral examination and, and the check ride. Yeah, but the winds were were just wicked. You know, we, we and so and just for everyone's clarification, when we talk about the check ride after you go through all of your training. Um, at the end, you have to get your certification as like your driver's license test. And there's two parts to the check ride. There is an oral examination and then a flight examination. And together, those are called the check ride. So, okay, continue. Sorry. Yeah. And so, um, so it was going to be up at Saratoga, but the, the weather, you know, the winds were just too much uh, mm-hmm. for it. And uh, so, and then with Heather's, the, the instructor's, um, DPE. Yeah, the DPE with her schedule and everything. So I drove down there and did the oral stuff. And that went that went, you know, pretty good. There were a couple of things in there that I messed up that I just knew. But what were yeah. you think what, what were your thoughts before the check ride? Were you nervous? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I tried to do everything to be um not nervous. And it was more nervous, like I, I hope I don't screw up. You know, mm-hmm. I know how to do, I've done everything that I have to have to do here. I just hope for, you know, like some of those times you'll be riding a bike and you just crash. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want to mess something up. So, um, so when I went down there, you know, we got, we did the, the, got all the paperwork and everything done. And, uh, we did the, the, um, uh, the pre-flight, you know, and Heather asked me a few questions and everything and I did. Okay. You know, I did good. How, how did the check ride look? Do you remember? What was, what was the format of how she asked you questions? Yeah. So she said, you know, oh, and she said, she, beforehand, she told me like, we're going to go fly out to here. We're going to do a couple of things on the ground. Then we'll do each, each of the maneuvers, mm-hmm. you know, but the oral portion. Oh, the oral portion. Um, it was so long and she covered everything. How long was it? It was about uh, two and a half, two and a half maybe. hours on the ground. Yeah, it okay. was, it was. It was, uh, it, but I'll tell you, she did it nicely. I mean, it wasn't grueling two and a half hours, you know, mm-hmm. and she would interject and share her experiences and stuff that she did and things like that. And then, um, you know, so you, she did a good job about asking questions about, you know, the knowledge that you need to know and, um, you know, about the aircraft, about all of the regulations, about navigation and stuff. And then she would also do hypotheticals you know and and so that was pretty good were there any moments during that ground oral portion where you thought i don't know if i'm going to get out of this no or that you no. thought you had screwed up no i actually you know it may have been a bad <laughs> a wrong impression but i thought i was doing okay you yeah. know but but i was always apprehensive you know what i mean i wasn't relaxed mm-hmm. in, in terms of oh i got this you know but i i felt confident I what about that, what about your written test your fa written test how yeah, did you feel about that one I, I was disappointed in it i thought i did a lot better than i did so i must have misinterpreted a couple of questions but uh you know because i said oh, i felt real good about it and then uh my score was lower than i thought mm-hmm. i i i was capable of yeah yeah but so getting back to the actual flight, so we did the check ride. We took off out of, cause it was down at Stewart. And, uh, what really helped a lot was you taking me down there and going through the, the whole thing, um, the week before mm-hmm. a couple of days before and that was good. Cause it got me used to talking to the Stewart controllers 
and I, I think I had the same guy that we had, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and so he must have recognized my voice or anything because he was pretty friendly and everything. And um, so we went out to, you know, Orange County there and we did a, a oh, on the way out, she saw me um, uh, micromanaging the airspeed and the altitude because I remember, you know, we got to hold it within a certain thing. She goes, all right, you're micromanaging. And she just took her checklist and just covered up the, the panel. You know, she left the uh, rotor RP, you know, the, the R, she left the tachometer, the uh, manifold pressure and the vertical speed indicator, mm -hmm. but everything else was covered up, airspeed and altitude. She says, I just want you to hold 1500 and, you know, 70 knots. And I said, oh, God. so she says, just look at the ground and just maintain that height. And then we got close, she pulled it off and I was right there, which was kind of amazing. Um, so then did a, did a um, just a normal approach did good she started laughing though because she said as I got closer to the ground I kept moving over closer to her leaning against her <laughs> she said were you nervous and she said, I can feel you nervous and I said she said I didn't even know I was doing that and, and it went good and then um, we did some you know ground hovering and she took me over and had me do the the hard, most horrible thing of all of them was the the, the landing on a slope and it wasn't even a slope, you know, and for the life of me, I just had trouble with it. What, what, so what did the slope look like? Uh, it was the edge of a taxiway. Okay. So there was the taxiway and there was a little bit slope coming down and I was approaching it from the, the uphill side. And what I should have done is gone overshot and then come back. But, you know, it just, remember when I was first learning set downs, I'd get close to the cars and then get squirrely. Mm -hmm. It, it was doing that. And I said, Oh God, I got the squirrels again. And, and so it, she started laughing and that, that, that kind of diffused it a little bit that I, I got it down. So I, you were coming down on the slope. Um, was it your skid or her skid that you were sending down first? My skid. Okay. So it was the left-hand side or the right-hand right side skid. Side, yeah. And uh, you were coming down and you were just getting wobbly with it. Yeah. Just, just more wobbly than I would have liked. So you think just by her laughing and making you feel like a little bit calmer, then you were able to execute. Yeah. So it was, so it was pressure and maybe it, it was, so it was, it was, it was self-induced. Yeah. Self -induced it, it was pressure. all self-induced. Yeah. So I was almost at the point that says, can we just park this thing? Let me stick out, walk for, you know, I, I was thinking this in my mind. I, cause I swear to God, I could fly better than this. Yeah. You know? And then she had me um, do uh, a running land. Did she have you do the left skid? No, just the right. Okay, just the right skin. If I remember right. Yeah, just the right. Mm -hmm. And then we did a, a running landing just from, you know, we were hovering and then just went down a taxiway, had me do a running, running landing. Um, did and how'd a, that go? Went, that went fine. Okay. And then uh, did a, um, a quick stop, which wasn't as good as it should have been. And that's something I want to just make sure I can do again. What happened? Uh, it, just a little bit of yaw, you know, a little, little too much. I was a little too late on the pedal, so it, it yawed a little bit, but I brought it back. Yeah, well, I yawed one side, one side, and then got it. And, you know, but other than that, it, it wasn't as nice as I would have liked for sure. her. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, uh, so then we did an auto and it went fine. A straight in auto rotation. Did a straight in auto. And she had me pull up and did uh, a 180 auto. And by that time, the winds was started coming up. So, it was going to be tight if I'd make it. So I cut it. I didn't 
you know, I was it a left 180 or yeah, right? it was a left 180. And I probably waited a little too long to make the turn. Okay. You know, I should have turned right away. And mm-hmm. so, but I just, I just went diagonally for the mark and yeah. hit it. And she was okay with that. Then we did the, oh, and beforehand she showed me uh, on her uh, iPad, the, the um, off airport mm-hmm. landing place. And, you know, you got these wires, you got these trees, you got this all in here. So we went and did that. I did my poet feel and did mm-hmm. all that. She was, she was happy with that. And then as we were pulling out of there, she did the engine failure. I figured I'd have time to do something. She goes, mm-hmm. engine failure. So I, I did that. And, uh, and I, I made the mayday call. She says, oh, you did the mayday. You know, some kids, some people forget to do that. Good so job. Said, Very good. Yeah. So except for the thing. Um, quick stop. Yeah. The, quick, the slope. Well, the, the slope was worse. The, the, one of the easiest things it was, I think, you know, and, and the quick stop was, could have been a little cleaner. Those two I want to clean up and take her up again and <laughs> show her that I can't do it. Did you, uh, did you do vortex ring state? Oh, yes, we did that, too. At what point in the checkered was that? Uh, we did it just before the off. Uh, uh, oh, we, we did the engine failure right after that. So we did the off post. We did the off. Yeah, the off post. That's my <laughs> army thing coming out. We did the off import landing. Okay. You know, and then when we climbed back up, uh, we did the vortex ring. State. And how'd that go? Good. Uh, but i was out of it a lot quicker she goes you're out of it you can yeah i said no i can't be you know because she's light yeah and, and, yeah. She, and i said you know i just got out of she goes yeah i'm pretty light you know she says all right uh, that was good she says i'm nice and clean no you know wobbling around interesting you know that's something i'm sure you've never experienced uh was flying with someone that light yeah with the auto rotation um you're gonna glide a lot further oh yeah with yeah. the vortex ring state, you're going to be out of it sooner because yeah. you had only practiced with me. Yeah, with both of us. And you've never done it solo. No. So it yeah. must have been different. Yeah, but, it, well, I was out of it lickety split. I mean, yeah. a lot lot quicker than I thought I would have. And she goes, oh, you're out of it. I go, oh, you're just, you know, so, and I, so I adjusted the trim. And as soon as I get everything trimmed up, up to speed, moving along, boom, engine failure. <laughs> so. Does she give you a lowered RPM? Yes. Yes, she did. I think that was on the way out. She okay. did that or on the way back. It was, I got to try to remember where that was. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff. In yeah. the, in a- no, no, it is. So, okay. So you did your off airport vortex ring state engine failure. Um, and then after the last maneuver, she just said, take me back. Yep. And at what point did you know you had passed? Not until, uh, she she said it back at the place did so you shut down and got out and then she told you when did she tell you you know well well, she said you know i was a little worried at first you know she said when you get a little wobbly there she said i i was thinking you know maybe we ought to just bag this and i said if i didn't know that i'd have panicked (laughs) big time and uh and she said uh she said, but you know, your approach was good. So I said, uh, let's, let's keep it going a mm-hmm. little bit here. And, uh, and I said, oh, geez, but I, I think I, I had a feeling I passed just from her demeanor. I think if I didn't pass, I may have been able to find it unless she's really good at poker. Well, <laughs> we're actually going to have her on, uh, next week. So the, on the podcast, yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, we'll, we'll be asking her the same. Yeah, you can compare notes on Bob did. On his, <laughs> yeah, his how did Bob do on Vortex Ring State in his quick stop? <laughs> no, no. So just just leave the quick stop and the slope landing alone. All right. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ask her about those. So okay. So you uh you went back. Um was the check red as hard as you thought it would be? No. Easier. Yeah. Why? I think because of her, I, I think a, a couple of things, probably because you were a lot tighter and, and less uh, forgiving uh, in getting ready for it mm -hmm. uh, because you didn't let me get away with anything, you know, yeah. and she allowed a little bit of, little bit of slack. Yeah. There and was I no slack with Devin. There was a little bit of slack with Heather and uh, you know, she never said to me once, did you see the ground coming up? <laughs> do you see the ground coming up <laughs> you whenever we're talking you always have these quotes that i've said to you yeah, yeah, do you remember yeah. some of them oh yeah yeah what have i said to you um see so now, now, now i'm gonna draw a blank i remember <laughs> do you see the ground coming up all right all right what altitude are you supposed to be at yeah uh, what airspeed are you supposed to be at okay I, do you know that you're diving now i <laughs> uh, stop moving backwards yeah there, it, it's it's tough as an instructor because hover I, hover <laughs> why right, are you moving, moving. Oh, yeah, so. where are your eyes supposed to be yeah, where are your eyes supposed to be okay set it down okay go back pick it up and set it down where i said to set it down <laughs> it's it, it's let me, let me just get this out in the clear. It's yeah. it's fun being an instructor I'm sure because i was in your position not yeah, that yeah, long ago yeah. and it's fun to uh because I remember fighting for my life in that helicopter, oh, yeah. trying yeah, to get yeah, it. Yeah. Like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I need to set it down and stop moving and keep my eyes outside, but it's hard. After you get the experience, you're just more comfortable with it. And it, it's fun to be the instructor. And um, I, I've had instructors that were very rude and mean about it. Sure. And th there's a fine line because we obviously have a pretty good relationship of friendship yeah, and outside yeah, yeah. of the helicopter and outside the classroom, yeah. it, it's a, it's good. Yeah. Um, but inside the helicopter, it, it's tough being constructive and a good instructor, but also laying down the line yeah. and not letting you get to, I want you to be good. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no, and I think it's, it's hard. from the student's point of view, but I think it's good. And I think a lot of it is, so there's a mutual trust and respect. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, and you probably sensed it with me that, you know, all of the friendship and the, and the frivolity and fun stuff. You now, when we sit in the helicopter, uh, you know, we, I'm not your friend, I'm your student, you're my instructor and, you know, your rule is law. So, you know, I, I, I don't think I, you know, push that anywhere to challenge that at all. So I think, you know, being in the military and you always know that you got somebody who's a value, you know, like when you go to tank gunnery, you know, you've got a staff sergeant who's evaluating you. I outrank him, but, you know, he's still evaluating all my duties when we go down on tank gunnery and stuff like that. So, And as a student, that's something I really appreciated from you. Stepping into this job, one of the concerns I had and one of the concerns my employer had. It was my age. It was my age. I was, oh, your age. Oh, okay. Yeah, my age. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and it, it's, such, it's such an odd uh I guess discrepancy between our ages. Yeah. There's yeah, a I, lifetime. Yeah. Between. Well, it's your age or, you know, if you're a woman, your gender, but 
see to me that's i'm blind to that you yeah. you, you come faa certified you're the you're the flight instructor so that's the way it is I, and in the army it's that way too you'll have commissioned officers flying but you got warrant officers who are the the guys teaching them yeah you know and so it's yeah interesting yeah no so so oh, the it, other one was did you mean to yeah uh, I'll, I'll i'll by the next podcast i'll have them all written down and well and one of one of the things is just me i'm just like a sassy cocky guy yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah. so I, sometimes i make remarks that i don't always need to make but i'm working on that um so you got your private so where are you supposed to land where were you where where were you supposed to live did you did you want to land right there yeah that was another one. <gasps> why are we 15 feet off the ground yeah that's, that's <laughs> why are we climbing we're supposed to be on an approach yeah yeah <laughs> so okay so you got your private pilot's license what are your goals and aspirations now well, you said well yeah. hold on yeah in, in helicopters and then just in life <laughs> well i've um one of the things interesting from the time i went to west point till the time i retired you know my life was pretty much mapped out with a couple of exceptions by other people you know you're in the military you go you do this you're a platoon leader company commander battalion executive officer you know battalion commander stuff so um yeah my goals in life are just to um enjoy uh, my time yeah. so i you know the family and and enjoy the, the the fact that i can have a lot more freedom to do stuff that i would like to do and enjoy and relax um as far as flying i would like to continue to fly because you know i'm just you know my goals were not to you know be a be a paid pilot you know, there's a number of young people that are doing that. So I don't want to take a job away from them. Uh, but I would like to continue to keep flying and I think plugging away with hours and doing the things and getting better and better, like, you know, to get, you know, and having a goal is a good thing. So getting mm -hmm. my commercial license is the next goal. So um, instrument rating looks to god awful to me at this point or at least in a helicopter I might do that when it fixed way i don't mm -hmm. know but uh but you know as you get better and better these things that look undoable appear more achievable you know that's a, so yeah. that's exactly it you know when before you started this maybe yeah, like yeah. the first 20 hours you're like oh my god yeah same thing with the instrument yeah. you know it's like this unbelievably complex task that seems unreal and then you start doing it and then you've done it for 10 hours and now 20 and 30 and 40 and your check rides in two weeks and you're like, Oh, this makes sense. Like you're going to have questions, but it, yeah, yeah. It, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, yeah so, so that's, uh, I'll keep that, you know, kind of relaxed and, uh, you know, a relaxed, uh, approach and, but go for it. Keep the, keep going. So keep my hours up and start ch chipping off for the, for the commercial. Let me ask you this. How much, did you private pilot cost? Do you know? Uh, let's see. Uh, I was about what eighty. If we figure it out, it's uh, let's say if it's eighty hours, mm -hmm. 
and figure 400, uh, so 24,000 and a couple others maybe. So and just a little under 30,000. 80, right? 80 hours times. Oh, no, no, that's 3,200. Yeah, yeah, 80 times 400 is uh, $32,000. Okay, so this 32,000, there's a couple of uh, R44 flights in there. There's the costs of some of the other stuff. So would, would you, that's 30, I'd say about 35,000. So 35,000 to get yeah. your private. Yeah. Did you have a budget before? Nope. <laughs> I, I just had i had uh, two savings accounts that that were just you know that i just put money in put money in so i figured uh, you know when i started working here in 2000 you know with with college loans for my kids and a mortgage and an ex-wife i my my future was i'm just gonna have to work till i die Mm -hmm. That's it. And then all of a sudden, you know, chipped away at these things and it worked out well and I, it was paid quite well. So that helped a lot. And so in the last five, six years, I was able to sock a lot of money away. And so, um, so I kind of had that for the rainy day and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, but I, I kind of had the, the pilot license in the back of my head. So, so $35,000 for, I, I guess I had about 40 grand. I think I could, I could chew up without too much trouble. But So, but so for $35,000 for a little plastic card, you think it was worth it? Oh yeah. Do you regret it? Not at all. $35,000. The plastic card is part of it, but it, I've also got like 85, 88 hours in a yeah. helicopter yeah. that I flew. Yeah. You know? And you've got and, all those memories. And I never thought that would ever happen ever. So um, we kind of talked about your worst experience in the helicopter or <laughs> a, a really bad time. Yeah. Do you have a standout favorite uh, flight or experience? Yeah. Um, probably a couple. Uh, I think. Um, the night flight down to South Albany together and landing at uh, Albany, you know, doing the first running landing at Albany airport at night was, was gorgeous. You know, the flight to Bruce's and Martha's vineyard there was awesome. Uh, yeah. So we flew from, uh, from Saratoga County out to Martha's vineyard. How long was that flight out there? Two and a half, maybe? two and a half hours out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, about the same coming back. So we, uh, we stopped in uh, what's it called? Port Little, uh, Little Compton. Little Compton, Rhode Island. Straight out of Little Compton, <laughs> the smallest town in the smallest county in the smallest state. That's so. I mean, Little Compton is just a hilarious name. Yeah. <laughs> so we flew out to Little Compton, and we uh, we visited one of your friends named yep, Bruce. Bruce. Yep. He's a real cool guy. Yeah. And then uh, we, we had, a, had a nice. Uh, Devin had the uh, the family style fish and chips. It was great. My first time uh, fish and chips on the East Coast. It was a wonderful. So then we uh, we were in the 44 and the 44 we were in had floats, emergency floats. So we had those activated they and almost came in handy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure what, what's the distance in between. So the last airport we stopped at in Martha's Vineyard is a little island. It's a little Delta, a class Delta airport on that island. And we, uh, we crossed the island. Yeah. We crossed uh, Buzzards Bay. It's called. And, Buzzards. Uh, yeah. And then, then, uh, across the, uh, Elizabeth islands there into Martha's vineyard. And, uh, so it's not far from Bruce's to Martha's vineyard. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a little channel, but we yeah, climbed yeah. up as high as we practically could yeah. to increase our glide ratio if in the event that we needed to. And, uh, talk, talk to me about your experience flying into Martha's vineyard. 
it was nice. It was, it was busy, you mm -hmm. know, it was very busy, but we were going in there and, uh, I think they were bringing us in on a non-active runway and then had us come over on, right. on, on the, the, because the, the active runway was very busy. And then they didn't put us on the tarmac. They put us over on the grass. Cause they, cause we could do that. <laughs> they, they're like, you're going to be landing in the grass. Yeah. <laughs> there will be so, a guy over there to escort you. Yeah. And it was there. We got fuel and went to the Sunoco station to get ice cream. Yeah. So we landed at Martha's yeah, vineyard, yeah. you know, we, maybe we could have asked for a crew car or something. See, or maybe we could have gotten an Uber or something, but we uh we took a nice walk yeah. around uh around yeah. the corner from Martha from the airport into a gas station. Yeah, we probably we probably got to the gas station place as quick as if we drove it because it looked like there's so much traffic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and there was something going on that weekend. I think that it was Obama's was, birthday. Oh, Obama's birthday. That's right. Yeah, that so. that was uh that was bold of us to fly into Martha's Vineyard the same weekend that Obama was there. Well, we had to do it because we were that close. Yeah, we and were close. Devin, so we were like Devin wasn't going to be uh, denied. Yes. So. so so we did that. Then we uh we flew back, and I want you to tell the story of us trying to depart Martha's Vineyard from your experience. Sure. So we were almost cleared to go, but the the clouds rolled in so the vfr conditions deteriorated right yeah so devon asked the controller and i think we may have had a very cautious air traffic controller that very day cautious, yeah but i it's not my place to say uh but i think he could let us go because we're the ones flying and no skin off his nose yeah it's at our risk yeah uh, so, uh, so Devin requested special VFR. You have to request it. And so, and so explain the weather conditions. What, what was going on? Yeah. So there were, uh, there was a low ceiling coming in from the West. Um, and it was hovering partially over the airport, partially over, you know, the sound, the buzzards Bay, which is not unusual for that area. You know, where you'll get, you'll get these conditions that'll come in you'll get low-lying clouds that hug you know the water depending on what's what what the temperatures are and everything so uh, but they were moving pretty fast but it they would they would open up a little bit then they'd come back down they'd open up so they're kind of doing this thing and so we're waiting for the special vfr so we had i just want to set the scene we were waiting to depart out of martha's vineyard the field was reporting ifr so yeah, yeah. as we are a VFR aircraft, we are not allowed to just depart at our own will because the airport is IFR. So we had to request special VFR. The weather conditions were, our lateral visibility was fine. We could see out unrestricted laterally. However, there was a low layer of clouds. However, we, we felt that we could get through it fine. Yeah. And I, I truly, like it was fine. Yep. Well, we're but, both here. <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the helicopter's fine and the helicopter's in we never yeah. went ifr wasn't even close yeah but we uh so we're waiting to go yeah so we get the thing cranked up we're waiting yeah we'll have your clearance but then there were, there was a number of um tra this traffic coming in so he has us wait has us wait you know and, and, and traffic is i mean we could have gone a number of times i think you know traffic is 10 miles out i said okay so you do this time distance calculations <laughs> I can run across the runway back and forth a number of times before this plane gets here. So that was a little uh, kind of frustrating. Frustrating isn't the right thing, but you know, and it's getting, no, it was frustrating. Okay. And it's getting later and later. And finally, I mean, we're getting to the point where, you know, where you said, 
you know, if we don't take off in 20 minutes, we're going to, we're going to spend the night. We're, we're going to just bag this. Cause we started up, I think twice and had to shut down because we thought you'd get ready to go. So finally, um, Devin goes, look, I'm going to go to the, to the men's room, mm-hmm. you know? So, and so I'm listening to him. So I hear him call us. He goes, eh, can you get ready to go? I said, all right. So I, I start the helicopter off because I didn't, there's no Devin. So I said, I know if I start it up, he'll come, <laughs> you know, and there you come. We get in and I was, I, I like, I walked out of the bathroom and I look out the window and I see my helicopter starting <laughs> and I was like, there's only me's that we're going. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sprinting across the tarmac. Yeah, across the tarmac, <laughs> and I'm still at them, and the knees and elbows are flailing, you know, moving with, with purpose. You get in, and he says, we're ready to go here. And, uh, and so we took off. And, and we departed. Uh, there, was no, there was no problems. Um, you know, one of the things with, with that, we... So, like you said, the the air traffic controller was like, "Okay, you guys can go ahead and start, and I'll get you out of here in a couple minutes." So we started. Comes back three minutes later. I'm sorry, you guys have to shut down. Waited thirty minutes, and he's like, "All right, you guys can go ahead and start up." Start up. Three minutes later, you guys need to shut down. I can't get you out. And the weather conditions were changing, and the sun was going down. And yeah, that's right. The sun was going down, <laughs> and it's starting to get darker. Yeah. And we had been trying for I don't know, maybe an hour and a half or two hours at this point. Oh yeah. yeah so yeah. I was f- feeling the air chain building, like yeah, we just yeah, have yeah. problem on top yeah, of problem yeah. on top of problem. And I was like, yep. okay, my my red line cutoff is if we're not out of here in twenty minutes, we're done. Yeah. So it worked out. We departed Eight, out of there. Eighteen and a half minutes. We made it out of there. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but he did. He called me and said, "Look, if you can, if you can lift off in uh, five or six minutes, you know, if you can, if you can be ready to go in ten minutes, I can get you out." And that's yeah. when I started it up, and then we did it. So, so that was wonderful. And it was, and it was. A, but once we get out of there and out of the cloudy area, it was a gorgeous night. Yeah, it was a beautiful yeah. flight home. Yeah. So your worst experience was. Uh, most difficult challenging experience was when i was pushing you into schenectady and then yeah. another great experience was flying back from martha's martha's vineyard yeah and and going out to the pancake breakfast those were good those, oh yeah those we were, uh those were good those were a good flight and an interesting flight on the second one so yeah the aviation community it, it's just like car meets they have like pancake yeah. breakfast come come hang out so you fly into an airport and we did that and the first one we, you know it was weather held us up yeah fourth and, of july yeah fourth of july the weather held us up but we got to see alex out there and fly over the lake and, yeah. the, the, and all that stuff so that was nice so as we start to wrap this up, um, what what is one thing that you would tell a future aviator, and what is one thing you would tell a future aviator specifically over the age of sixty? Well, I think a future aviator is you know follow your dreams. You know, if you want to do this and you think you enjoy it, you know, I would say. Uh, so it's only one thing. Yeah. Follow your dreams and, and go for it. You know, assuming you take a, a flying lesson or go out with somebody, a nice instructor, fixed wing or rotary wing and feel the controls and see what it's like. And if you really have the bug, then just go for it. You know, just relax, put your head down, work hard, study, you know, and prepare yourself and, uh, and then uh, follow it. And for somebody who's older, like me, 
there's really no age limit on any of these things. You know, if you're physically capable of doing it, which the FAA will determine, you know, find a good, and I think that you, to, to everybody, find uh, an instructor that you, you click with, you know, because everybody's personalities are different. But if you get a good instructor that you click with, there's that mutual respect, there's a good, good bonding between the two of you, uh, it's really good. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. Uh, some of it's hard. Now, there'll, be, there'll be frustrating times, but 97, 98% of it is fun and uh, great memories. Yeah. You enjoyed your experience? Well worth the $35,000. <laughs> do you wish you had done it earlier? Are you happy? Oh, yeah, it? yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, I do, because I could have been farther along. But um, it, as I sit here today, it doesn't matter because I'm here now and I've done it. And uh, so it's, you know, yeah, that's a good question. You know, what I've been better at, certainly as you're younger, your vision is better, your reflexes are faster and all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, but um, I don't regret anything. Yeah. But, yeah. All right, Bob. It was, uh, it was a pleasure talking oh, to you. Thanks, Devin. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to uh, flying again. Yeah. That's great. All right. See you, dude. Sure.